0: Alright, so hello everyone and welcome to today's episode here on the Sorted Skeptics. We've got an interesting one for you here today where we're going to be discussing a little bit about archetypes. Now this might be a term you've heard in passing and you may not have heard of it in any depth, so we're going to try to dive into a little bit of Jung's understanding of what an archetype is and how it goes about dictating your behavior. So you ready to dive in, Tim? I'm very ready. Let's do it. Alright, let's dive right into this one.
1: All right, so to start off, the Webster's Dictionary definition says that an archetype is the original pattern or model of which all things of the same type are representations or copies. So, also known as a prototype, similar to the idea of Plato's forms. Now, the original Greek definition combines the word archein, which means to begin or to roll, and ty- typos, which means type. Also, the word archaene gave us the prefix arch, meaning principle or extreme, and used to form such words as arch-enemy, arch So, from the Wikipedia article on archetypes, they wrote, Carl Jung understood archetypes as universal archaic patterns and images that derive from the collective unconscious and are the psychic counterpart of instinct. They are inherited potentials which are actualized when they enter consciousness as images or manifest in behavior on interaction with the outside world. So to sum it up he wrote, Carl Jung wrote, Archetypes resemble the beds of rivers, dried up because the water has deserted them, though it may return at any time. An archetype is something like an old watercourse along which the water of life flowed for a time digging a deep channel for itself. The longer it flowed, the deeper the channel, and the more likely it is that sooner or later the waddle, the water will return.
0: That's interesting. I'd like to pause on that and kind of go over that uh, that analogy a little bit because I like the way he describes it, where it's like if you were to come across a dried riverbed, you could kind of look at this and say, okay, well, this is a pattern that was created over time by this persistent mm-hmm. force that's almost taking the path of least resistance. The most mm-hmm. the most natural course of action would be for the water to take the path mm-hmm. of least resistance, and over time it's going to leave that mark behind. So I guess the idea with archetypes is that there's a lot of these patterns of behavior or a lot of roles that people could take on in their lives, and they seem to follow this same pattern generation after generation, yeah. thousands of years after thousands of years, and nothing really seems to deviate too far from that specific archetypal path.
1: Right, so, it- yeah, I mean it's uh more of an inner process and you could I think you could say the main thing that's changed is like our customs and our appearances and, you know, other things
0: like almost that. like these superficial surface level things yeah. that are reflecting something that's much deeper and much longer lasting.
1: And it's why we like all these archetypal movies that tell like the same seven stories or whatever else Exactly. And but... I'm glad
0: I'm glad you brought that up because it's like we we always like to go see the same movie over and over again <laughs> with different characters, a different plot. Yeah. Uh, you know, different actors, but all of it could be telling the same story. Right? Yeah. And that and that's oh, yeah, and like yeah. for example, the hero's journey. We see that all the time.
1: Yes. Right?
0: Where it's somebody who is maybe a little bit ignorant, maybe a little bit feckless, maybe a little bit lazy, and then they encounter some kind of conflict which forces them to grow or die. They realize, well, mm-hmm. growth is probably a better option, and then they can emerge at the other side of that journey and capture whatever treasure happens to be on the other side. Exactly. And then take it back to the village and share it with everybody.
1: Yeah, exactly. The moment of truth comes when they actually have to face death in one way or another, yeah. and their character is proved through the overcoming of that dragon or obstacle or whatever. And it's almost like
0: a part of them does actually die, right? Yes. That weak, feckless part of them that isn't going to help them in the future, that has to die. In order yeah. for them to confront that uh, that challenge, yeah, like
1: right? like the phoenix rising.
0: Yes, right? from rising from its own ashes, exactly. Dying and being reborn in the same way that, in a way, we all have to be. All have to die and rebirth ourselves in some way or another, right? Times over and over and over again, <laughs> all the time, right? Yes. It never stops. So, yes. uh, Jung also described these things called archetypal events. What? Uh, how would you characterize those?
1: Right, so this is like another cate- category of archetypes. So you have birth, death, separation from parents, initiation, which is like a training of some sort for like a job. Like an
0: apprenticeship or something? Yep. Right on. Sure.
1: And marriage, the union of opposites. So all these things, again, they're, they are events that are present all throughout, you know, human history. Yeah,
0: we're right. all born, we all die. So, I <laughs> mean, that's probably the... That's probably a good place to sort of uh, reflect and realize it's like we're all on the same same journey. Every human being has always had to go through these same archetypal patterns. Everybody is born and everybody dies. Most people separate from their parents. Uh, I mean, maybe a little bit less so these days. <laughs> but, you know, given the way things are, it's not uh, so hard to understand. Uh, the initiation or the apprenticeship, uh, these actually used to be a lot more popular. I know we'll Michael Green talked a lot about uh, these in his books on uh, on power and maneuver Green. and seduction and mm-hmm. stuff like that, where he talks about uh, how it used to be this, when people were really young, like pre-teen, like you'd start an apprenticeship and you would take seven years to learn this trade, so by the time you were an adult, you could actually contribute something of value to society. Right. Right? Get it. But I, I know a lot now, it seems to be that people are just sort of like, oh, don't worry about learning to do something valuable. Just go to university. Or college, and, yeah, you know, yeah, and get it, you know, pay for your own indoctrination or whatnot, and, you know. <laughs> I, I know, you know, we've been through the process, and it, uh it's expensive yeah. and it kind of sucks, but you know.
1: Well, also the social we learned we learned at my school like the social clock has been delayed for like certain milestones. Yes,
0: and well. uh, adolescence is almost delayed till about twenty five.
1: Right. I mean, you know, it right. used to
0: be you're an adult at uh, at 18. But yeah. now it seems to be pushing back and back and back and there's there's yeah. different ways that you can instantiate that, right? Like now it's like you can legally be covered under your parents' benefits until you're 25. It's like, okay, mm. well then why would I have to start adulting as we call it now until then? You know? Well,
1: yeah, well, the, the the interesting thing is that in this new textbook that I had to read for one of my units, um, they created a new developmental stage called Emerging Adulthood, which is like the university years, and before we actually get a job and start a family, and
0: I Interesting. Guess, it's like a formative you know, time of someone's... Yeah, it's
1: like after adolescence. After
0: adolescence, before but, adulthood, there's yeah. this emerging... Yeah, that's yeah, an, that's an yeah. interesting perspective, and I guess right. now that if if people are living longer... Like, if it used to be that everyone died by 35, 40, there wouldn't really mm. be time for any of this nonsense, but if everyone's <laughs> living till 80, 90, it's like, okay, well, maybe the extension of adolescence is just uh, a manifest or a product, I suppose, of this lengthened time span of life that we have now. Yes. yes but even though so. we're living longer, it's almost as if the the mind and the soul haven't quite caught up with that. That extra mm-hmm. set of life, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and marriage and the union of opposites. So again, other sort of rites of passage that you mm-hmm. know you'd, you'd go through, right? Mm-hmm. Um,
1: yeah. So I guess we can go over the some archetypal figures mm-hmm. that Jung wrote about specifically, which is the Great Mother, Father, Child, Devil, God, Wise Old Man, Wise Old Woman, the Trickster, and the Hero.
0: Okay, so those would be. There's definitely a lot to go and through. the shadow, and the shadow, of course, yeah. everybody's favorite. Yeah, still, <laughs> uh, still to date, our our most popular episode uh, yeah. being the shadow. So if you guys haven't checked that one out, uh, definitely take a look at that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what would be the the great mother and father? Now is it great mother and great father, or is it just great mother and then just regular father? I
1: think I think it's both great mother, great father.
0: Okay. Um, okay. It's...
1: Yeah. So, um. I think it's it's primarily our um, you know our general image of the nurturing mother, let's okay. say, and okay. you know the way she brings us up.
0: So the nurturing aspect of motherhood,
1: yeah, the a uh, like a, it's kind of like a sacred feminine principle, okay.
0: you could say. Okay, and then with the the um, father, would that be that? Uh, uh i guess what the tyrannical aspect of the father or is that is that the shadow side that we uh we can look at later?
1: i'm i'm i think it's both probably you so know, this would be you like would a, like to explore both sides because i guess you kind of kinda have of to have, have both of those yeah, in balance right Yeah, yeah. hence the union of opposites right so
0: i guess um, the uh like i know peterson has described a lot of this about the the great mother being like nature right and then the great father being like culture
1: yeah yeah
0: right so there's there are the the shadow elements of that right like the great mother even though there's that nurturing aspect nature is always trying to kill us and has been forever so that that's all it has those both sides and with the father there is that nurturing element as well but there's also the tyranny right yeah and there's
1: the devouring mother and the devouring mother our own father too (laughs) yes yeah
0: so obviously uh, you know even if, just look at the, the literal manifestations of these things, your actual mother and your actual father, they're human beings, they're fallible people, they're balanced, they're complicated. Yes. So, when we're talking about these, these are ideas. And they're know? a part of you. Yes. Ex- <laughs> no. And they are a part of all of us, right? Because if you gain the yeah. influence from your mother and your father, they become part yeah. of who you are. Which pretty much what the psychoanalyst is. Yes. And the next one here that you bring up is the, uh, the child. And I think, you know, we all start off as children, so this would be an archetypal pattern that we all mm-hmm, have to follow mm-hmm. into, uh, and I think... Maybe in, I mean, I could just be completely wrong here, but I think we kind of carry that with us for the rest of our lives. That element Mm -hmm. of us that always wants to learn, that element of us that's always terrified, and that element of us that's always somewhat dependent on other people. Absolutely. So it's
1: an unconscious part of our psyche that we carry with us till we're old and gray.
0: Yeah. And I guess it would be kind of interesting if we were never children and we were all just born as adults.
1: Yeah. Maybe that would be
0: uh, the only way you could kind of remove that from the human experience. Yeah. It's just...
1: Yeah, and I'm just saying. Like, it's just interesting observing children and how innocent and carefree, and you know, they can teach us. All yeah, because they, cause they cause...
0: see it how it is, right? Yeah. When, when yeah. sometimes when a kid will say something, you're like, "Well, that's not appropriate," but he's way more right than I am. <laughs> <laughs> like they're they're saying they're saying it without yeah. any filter, without any other prior experience that might alter the way they see it, and they just sort of. Have a certain purity to them yes. that I think a lot of us lose as we become older and more jaded. Yeah, exactly. You know, through yeah. our teen years where we get grumbly,
1: <laughs> complain <laughs> about
0: everything, all that stuff. Yeah, all cynical
1: and stuff. And...
0: So the uh, the next one, uh, the devil. Would this be uh, kind of like that shadow element yeah. of ourselves, or is there something deeper to that?
1: I believe so. I mean, you know, what what do you think when you when you think of that? When I like think of, of that, type?
0: I th- I would think that is like there's always a part of us that understands our own vulnerability mm-hmm. and in understanding our own vulnerability we know exactly how to hurt other people
1: mm-hmm, right
0: mm-hmm. so yeah. so choosing to do that would be basically the definition mm-hmm. of evil Yeah. Was- but, but we always carry it with us and if you fail to recognize that you're mm-hmm. in a lot of trouble right? Mm-hmm, because if you mm-hmm. think oh I would never be one of those evil people doing evil things it's like no it is well within your capacity to do that and you should be understanding of that
1: hmm you know you, you everybody's should everybody's missed the mark at some point of course i mean this is
0: yeah <laughs> life. but this is this would be yeah. more like an intent yeah behind it right where yeah. you, you understand that there is a certain evil in everybody but yeah. it, it can serve a purpose as we talked about more in that shadow episode right mm-hmm. where it's like if your boundaries are being seriously violated it might be good to call the devil out a little bit
1: mm-hmm. to lay
0: down a bit of divine justice yeah but if you take it too far you're probably going to end up in prison <laughs> Yes, yeah,
1: it's the extremes, right? Exactly. I know I've recognized a very rebellious part of myself, too, that, Mm -hmm. you know, rebels against God or, you know, other people's rules or whatever else. Authority as
0: such. Yes, yes,
1: (laughs) which kind of links to our natural law episode. But, Mm -hmm. um, yeah,
0: so... So the next one, this one might be a lot more challenging, the archetype (laughs) of God, right? Right. So this, this, I would presume, would be something like uh, orienting yourself towards something that's much higher than yourself. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I've come to understand that it's like, if it's not going to be God, it's either going to be the government or the products of your own intellect. And I think those are going to result in a lot worse outcomes. Absolutely. Right, because I think, and I mean, I'm no theologian, but I understand in a lot of the scripture, they talk about how you never actually get to look at the face of God. You only get to walk beside him. And I think what that means to me is that you're never going to reach perfection but you have to walk towards it all the time.
1: Wow. Yeah.
0: You know what I mean? Yeah, that's great. Because it's like, if you could look at the face of God, then you could just look at it and know everything. Like, oh, of course, that makes perfect Mm. sense. It's like, nope, not that simple. Never going to happen. It's,
1: yeah, and it's, I think it's one of those things that, even though it it could be a part of us, but it's so grand and...
0: Beyond the scope of our understanding?
1: Well, not completely. Not completely, but... But in the totality of things... Probably, yeah. <laughs> but it's yeah. It's something that's yeah, um, all all encompassing and uh, that which is en-
0: encompasses both the known and the mm-hmm, unknown. Mm-hmm. So that's basically everything,
1: right? Mm-hmm. It's like, oh yeah, that
0: does make perfect sense. All right.
1: And as we observe, there are gods or one god in you know cultures across the world, mm-hmm. right? So. Um, this is another thing Jung investigated as well in Western Eastern religions and such. So that could be a whole
0: episode. Oh yeah. Yeah. Going into the, oh, who is God and what's all about? Like, oh geez, I'm sure people will want to sit through that. It's a big one, right? Yeah. We'll yeah. see. Yeah. So, like, a, a couple of, uh, you know, former government schooled atheists trying to figure out how the hell we actually come and wrap our head around these ideas because we might've been wrong.
1: Yeah, and it's like you mentioned before, um would we rather want to serve God, a real God? AKA, like, the laws of morality, or do we want to serve some person who thinks they're God and thinks they know
0: and have the authority to Well, we d- get got to get, get them Facebook likes and Instagram <laughs> shares and all them retweets, right? I mean, you can worship that all you want, and, uh, you know, you might get some good ad revenue out of it, but uh, I think it'll probably leave you pretty, pretty hollow
1: yes. at the end of the day. Yes.
0: Now, the next two that come up, the wise old man and the wise old woman, how would these be different from, like, the great mother and great father?
1: Right, well I think the wise old woman and man, they're like the magician archetype, which we're gonna talk about okay. later on. They're like the mentor figure in the hero's journey. Got it. Who mm. has contains all the knowledge of the culture and will give it to the youth and to help them grow ready for it, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then to face that help them grow and prepare for the ish- initiation.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Right. All right. Uh, the trickster.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So so what would this be like archetypally speaking?
1: well, this could be like a comedian or this could be like the court jester. Okay, they can
0: speak truth to the king and doesn't get his head cut off because everyone thinks, oh, he's just the jester. It's like, yeah, but everyone else is like, yeah, I think that idiot's right. Yeah, but (laughs) he could uh be the
1: deceiver as well, Mm. a manipulator, someone who... You know, maybe jokes so much that you don't know if you can trust
0: them. I find completely. someone like Milo Yiannopoulos fits into yes. this category yes. quite well. I've heard that, yeah. Where, yeah, he is the kind of guy that you'd call out when shit is going so wrong, you just need someone to go in there and then piss off the feminists. <laughs> or, or the leftists, or any of these other people that are just, you know, so up their own ass with their own principles that uh, they can't take a joke anymore.
1: Yeah, and they'll like put a mirror up to them, I guess, right? yeah. in a sense.
0: And Milo's fall from grace after his... Uh, I don't know. I think that he was taken out of context a little bit, but he even admits now he probably didn't speak as carefully as he probably should have. Right. Because uh, if you guys aren't familiar, basically what uh, this Milo Yiannopoulos guy did was... Uh, he used to be the tech editor for uh, Breitbart, and he was basically caught saying something to the effect of... Uh, you know, male, uh, like adult male and young boy relationships, even if they're sexual, can be beneficial. Mm. And you know, I think as a sort of flippant, offhand comment, he's like, "Well, you know, it happened to me," and you know, maybe it should happen to more people or or something to this effect. Right. And even though this isn't really what he meant, they were able to get him on the literal words and yeah, that just and basically it. they turn him into a pariah. Of course, basically, but he'll be fine. He'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's going to find his niche elsewhere, and you know, he'll be called out when it's necessary again. But, right, uh, right. you know, it's too bad. But again, I get that same feeling as well, where it's like, yeah, this guy's, you know, a great weapon to unleash upon the left. But I don't know if I'd actually trust him.
1: Yeah, I've... Honestly, I've I've heard some interviews with Joe Rogan and overall, not a huge fan of his overall trolling. You could oh, Milo, say. you mean? or Milo, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, I... I can see the appeal, but I don't. I don't agree that he should get like shut down. Like no, definitely did, not.
0: You know, so and you see what happened to Crowder recently? Um, they pulled no. his uh, YouTube monetization completely, oh. even after admitting that he did nothing wrong. Really, nothing. They're like, listen, we understand you didn't actually violate any of the terms of service, but you know, the wider context and the greater good nah. and the blah blah. It's like, no, that's a bunch of horseshit.
1: What's going on YouTube? What's
0: going? On? Well, they're 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 kowtowing to the left, right? Yeah. Because well, uh, what was it? Uh, there was a guy that. Uh, I can't remember his name Carlos Maza I think uh, got really offended by uh, Crowder calling him a queer despite the Mm. fact that that's how he describes himself and it's sort of like okay so this is a word that you guys are allowed to use but we're not okay double standard understood but uh, yeah this is this is why I I wouldn't trust YouTube as far as I could throw it because it's uh, they they are basically trying to say well you know we got to ensure that only the right information gets out there so we're only going to use trusted sources and it's like oh what a coincidence all of them are mainstream media sources oh that's interesting that's great so we're all going to get downgraded and they're going to boost up all that content it's like okay so I'm not ever going to spend a penny on YouTube
1: yeah. I would encourage yeah. nobody
0: else to spend a penny on YouTube. And if you're going to advertise, I'd probably find a different platform. But I
1: was thinking about the premium ed- edition, but now I'm not so sure. <laughs> uh, yeah. A little bit. <laughs> because yeah. you can download the videos.
0: Exactly. Like, yeah. And it's one of those things. If you want to do that, all you'd really have to do is use a, uh, like, a, I can't remember the there's name. There's Keepvid Pro.
1: Okay. Yeah. There's yeah. other so sites that, do
0: that will basically yeah. just grab it, download it, and then send it to you. Yeah. I would do that with audio. Like for a lot of the yeah. Peterson lectures, I would just rip the audio and then yeah, put it on my yeah, phone, yeah, yeah, yeah. because I didn't want to download the video.
1: Yeah, way more space.
0: So, yeah, I guess, like... But
1: I also heard Gad Sad had one of his uh, videos demonetized, I think.
0: Yeah, him, uh, uh, PragerU, they've had a ton of their videos demonetized.
1: Uh, lame. I like, I like their stuff. Yeah,
0: Prager is pretty sick. Actually, one of the things I wanted to mention earlier uh, when we were talking about adulthood is he actually just had his fireside chat recently, and one of the things he mentioned was, is, like, adulthood is not so much an age, it's more of a choice, Mm. is you're an adult when you choose to be an adult. Wow. And it's like, oh, yeah, I guess you're kind of right. He's like, yeah, I got yeah. people my age that are still children. Yeah. And it's like,
1: oh, Like yeah. the choice of responsibility. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly, yeah, where you, yeah, you adopt yeah. that responsibility and you yeah, choose to be an adult yeah, yeah. with yeah. all the downfalls that come yeah. with it. That's a choice. Because you can choose not to be an adult. You know, you could live in a, <laughs> a <clearly laughs> hedonistic lifestyle your entire life until you burn the candle at both ends and yeah. die at a young age, but that's still a choice.
1: Yes, yes, it is a choice, and...
0: Uh... Yeah, Yeah, so anything that that Prager puts up that kind of goes against the narrative, which, again, if we wanted to lock down what the narrative is that we're talking about, is that Western civilization is a horribly racist, homophobic, terrible place that's the worst in the world, and we have to bring it down and rebuild it from the ground up. And anything that challenges mm -hmm. that narrative is considered, well, racist, homophobic, sexist, bigoted, all that kind of stuff. And these are labels that Mm -hmm. will be thrown at you if you ever attempt to question anything that the left does. Mm -hmm. Because it's easier Mm -hmm. than addressing the arguments. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, screw this person. They're just a racist. It's like, well, did you engage with what they said? Or are you yeah. just going to add home them into oblivion? Right.
1: And I just want to say, speaking of choice, mm-hmm. I've been getting into a lot of Facebook discussions, like philosophy groups. Yeah. Um, there's one called the dialectic table, actually. And I've encountered a lot of people who are really um, for the deterministic mindset, which is the idea that we can't really choose, um, we can't really have free choice or free will because our impulses and whatever else will ultimately guide our decisions and it's basically saying we're weak and we can't ...overcome our inner chaos, essentially. And uh, in some ways, I guess it's convincing, but I don't buy it.
0: It's a, it's compelling in the sense that it's like, Oh, wait, you mean I don't have to take any responsibility for anything? Yeah, that sounds like a pretty good deal. Mm. It's like, so, okay, so if you were talking to one of those per- people face-to-face... ...and you just slap them across the face... Yeah. They probably get mad and then you can ask them, well, why are you getting mad? It was going to happen anyway. Yeah.
1: There's there's no objective morality in yeah, there's your, no your mor- opinion. Yeah. We so. went over this
0: in the last episode too where it's like, okay, so if a boulder rolls down a hill and smashes your car, do you yell at the boulder? Like, no. It's like, okay, well, what about the guy that pushed it? It's like, well, obviously you yell at him instead, right? Yeah. Someone whips a rock yeah, through your window, yeah, you get yeah. mad at the rock? No. You get mad at the person <laughs> who threw it because they chose to. So when people say they don't believe in free will, but they act as if they do... I'm more inclined to believe their actions over what they say. Yes. Right? Because a lot of this nihilism nonsense, I think it's a lot of people just trying to score intellectual points and unearned wisdom by trying to appear to be more intellectual than they really are. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've fallen into this trap myself, too. So now I I just try not to espouse any opinions. I just evaluate arguments. Right, right, right. Well, and that's the thing. Like, they can can try and
1: rationalize whatever they want. Mm -hmm. And you... You might you probably might not be able to change their mind unless, you know, I don't know, they're yeah. open. But uh, a lot of, I've what I've witnessed so far is that a lot of people are set in this and if you if you come up with the counter arguments, it's they'll deflect it or they'll ignore it or whatever else. So Yeah, so anyways. I think we have
0: to shift our target away from trying to convince that person to try to convince the silent majority of people who right. are just watching hmm. the conversation. Because yeah. they might say, hey, I've heard that argument before, but I've never seen anyone challenge it. And then you yeah. throw up a challenging question that they can't answer. The person looking at that is being like, holy crap, I never thought of that rebuttal mm-hmm. before.
1: That's what you got to keep in mind. Those
0: are the minds yeah. we're trying to change, right? Not yeah. these idiots that are just too nihilistic <laughs> to be of any use to anyone.
1: But they, they do provide a use in a way. Yeah. <laughs> by a lo- you know, a lo- allowing that showdown of ideas. Yeah, right? and
0: how else are we going to test our ideas unless we right. can actually put them up against the yeah. world? right so i think that that's they they do have a value to offer in that sense but (laughs) you know archetypal motifs let's dive into that yeah
1: so we've got the apocalypse that's a big deal okay the the deluge 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 the creation Hmm. although the number of archetypes is limitless there are a few particularly notable reoccurring archetypal images the chief among them, according to according to jo- to Young, is the shadow, the wise old man, the child, the mother, and her counterpart, the maiden, and lastly the anima and man, and the animus and woman. Hmm. So, I guess with the 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 apocalypse, that's uh, that's pretty heavy, right?
0: <laughs> so this would be sort of the end of the world as we know it.
1: I I believe so. Yeah. Or. Um, I think I heard somewhere uh, our good friend Mark Passio. I re- I'm pretty sure he said something, it could also mean like a revealing of some sort. So, um, you know, yeah, but, you know, I think the apocalypse theme, this has been going on for decades, I would say, because we've, I think, as people collectively, we've been worrying what's gonna happen to the world with all that's going on like wars and
0: yeah what would actually precipitate you know, a full-on apocalypse I mean financial I mean, collapses and like the uh, the nuclear Armageddon of the last two generations were right. during the Cold War everyone was like well I could just wake up mm. tomorrow and everything around me could just be radioactive sand the doomsday clock yeah there's that yeah the doomsday mm. clock but it's mm. like you know I guess in the, in a certain way the world is always sort of ending and renewing in small mm. ways. In different ways, but, you know, the only thing that would cause, you know, a full-on collapse would, you know, in my opinion, would probably be a grid-down situation, where due to enough social unrest, the power plants can't actually get enough employees to run them, and they have hmm. to shut them down by law. Hmm. Then nobody has hmm. enough electricity, that means you got no pumping water, you got no sewage, you got no natural gas, because the pumps are going to run out of backup eventually, and then, eventually, you're going to have about 70% of the population die off over the course of the winter. Wow. Because there's no way to heat anything, right? Right. And, you know, there's no medical transportation, there's no hospitals working, there's no uh, medication available for people, you know. A lot of people are dependent on these very, very complicated, delicate systems, and it's the reason why our population has been allowed to explode. Mm -hmm. But if any of those house of cards comes down, Mm -hmm. you're going to see a massive die off of people, and Mm -hmm. it's going to be, like, it will be the apocalypse. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I didn't consider that at all yeah that, you know i mean you you know there's there's threats to the power grid from solar flares from terrorist attacks from cyber attacks but i think realistically it's going to be an economic collapse based on the fact that we're inflating our currency completely out of control to complete worthlessness almost yeah. <laughs> and there's so many people that are dependent on that government currency that when mm-hmm. it disappears they're either going to sit down and die which doesn't seem likely because they're human mm. or they're going to fight like mad mm. to survive mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. going to be a very dangerous situation for a lot of people right Mm -hmm.
1: so we shall see we shall see (laughs) uh let's just um briefly go over these last two which is the self and this designates the whole range of psychic phenomena in man it expresses the unity of the personality as a whole now this is another thing that we could do a whole episode on basically anyways peterson had a really brilliant definition he said like the self is the part of us that lasts through all the transformations and deaths and rebirths across our life, mm. and so it's like that—that that godlike permanent part of us that just keeps going. And the, it's also represented in the Mandela drawings as well.
0: So. Oh, okay. So it's like uh, if I were to use another metaphor, it's <laughs> like the tungsten core of a high-velocity, high-explosive round that manages to make it all the way through the armor as it penetrates. Right. that sounds good to
1: me. Right? So that's, that's, that's the self. It's the lasting element.
0: The lasting element yeah, that makes it all the way yeah, through. Yeah,
1: the essential, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 that's great. So, and of course we've got the shadow, which yep. is a representation of the personal unconscious as a whole and usually embodies the compensating values to those held by the conscious personality. Thus, a shadow often represents one's dark side those aspects of oneself that exist but which one does not acknowledge or with with which one does not identify now i also want to say there's also the golden shadow which um re- is the part of us where we repress our positive aspects as well so that'd be so. like our
0: creativity and stuff like that yeah you've yeah. been beaten down and saying like you know you don't want to be creative you want to be follow the Mm. rules and all this kind of stuff and eventually oh actually we like to paint yeah there's your golden shadow right there
1: and the shadow the shadow wants attention it wants expression in some way and uh if we if we give it that um jung would say its value is golden essentially
0: yeah and if we fail to do that you know we fail to give the shadow a seat at the table that's going to manifest itself uh in some ways that may not be as uh adaptive As perhaps they could be.
1: Oh, and we'll explain how that is, how that manifests in the specific archetypes we're going to talk about. So um, Carol S. Pearson wrote that archetypes are inner gods or inner guides that have been with us since the dawn of time, which exemplifies a way of being on the hero's journey. They are reflected in art, literature, myth, film, and religion. They are archetypal because they are found everywhere at all places in all times. So they're universal, essentially. Archetypes reside as energy within the unconscious psychological life of all people everywhere. They exist both inside and outside the individual soul. So uh, we're going to focus on the archetypes related to personality and bring in some examples from movies and myths. So... Um, just quickly, some reasons to study archetypes. Um, number one, they provide very insightful and practical and a practical path towards self-improvement and individuation, which is another Jungian concept. Uh, number two, they help you understand who you are and help discover your true self. That's a pretty big deal to me, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Uh, number three, they assist in tapping into your psychological strengths, talents, and gifts. Number four... They help understand your weaknesses, blind spots, your shadow, and your fears. Uh, Number five, archetypes assist in perceiving the bigger picture of your life's journey slash story. Six, they help you grasp what you naturally act like and how you respond to problems and set goals. Number seven, they help us appreciate the principles, meaning, and characters of myths and film. Number eight, they provide inspiration and energy for action. And I think we need that more than anything if we're going to have a fighting chance to preserve Western civilization and sort ourselves
0: out, right? Exactly. Now, the uh, the other thing that I, I always found was kind of funny is the the one thing that might actually prevent us from going full civil war is the fact that we're not really all that inspired <laughs> or have much energy for action. <laughs> We've got so many great distractions. So many and distractions. Video games it's like, well, TV. I could go to war, or I could just pretend to on my Xbox. Yeah. You know,
1: it's <laughs> hey, and that might be a better hey. solution in a
0: way. Civil War averted. <laughs> Achievement unlocked. Yeah, yeah. Call of Duty, <laughs>
1: Modern Warfare. They got the remake coming out. So. Exactly, <laughs> but <laughs> it could
0: also be that you know by the time we go to Civil War. It just feels like so second nature to us because it's like, oh, okay, well, I got to pick my loadout, I got to bring yeah. enough ammo. I got to make sure to maintain cover, lay down suppressing fire, all yeah, this kind of stuff. Yeah, it's yeah. just so second nature because we've been doing it our whole lives. Right, right. And we also have no injuries from it because, you know, we haven't been out there training and getting torn Achilles and all these kind of things. So, you know, yeah. hopefully our laziness will save us from ourselves. That's all I can say about that, is I'm really hopeful that we're all so lazy that we can't actually be bothered going to Civil War. That might not be the worst outcome. Might not be the worst outcome. I mean, it might be a little boring and anticlimactic, but we're all going to survive. And, you know. If we can
1: avoid the uh, the storm and the, the chaos and yeah, falling if, in that hole, then... If only know. we could
0: just avoid the Civil War, you know. I, I think that'll probably be all right. But uh, so, so, did you want to go through the, this list in a little bit more detail?
1: Yeah. So they
0: provide very insightful and practical path towards self-improvement and individuation. And I think the way this would happen is that they provide examples, right? Mm -hmm. The example Mm -hmm. of the hero's journey is is basically every hero's story we've ever seen. And Mm -hmm. even though there's different permutations for how exactly they go about, you know, defeating... Different different set of events. Yeah, the story is always going to be the same, right? Where it's like, the reason you're having this problem is because you are insufficient. So Mm -hmm. what you need to do is learn what makes you insufficient get rid of it, and then you can go back and face the Mm. challenge or whatever it is and defeat it successfully in a way that isn't going to be a pyrrhic victory for the future,
1: right? Yeah, or in psychoanalytical terms, you could say making the unconscious conscious. Yes. uh, Weaknesses or faults or things that you sabotage yourself with.
0: Yeah, it seems like being conscious of those would probably be better than being unconscious of them right it's like the yes, difference between absolutely getting into a boxing match in a well-lit ring versus fighting an opponent in the dark who happens to have night vision right yeah, right it's like you, you great... can take a few swings you could probably hear yeah. where he is but you're never going to be as effective if you could both yeah, see each other yeah that's a great analogy right sure. <laughs> uh, so they help you understand who you are and help discover your true self Uh, Yeah, I guess going back to the, you know, the example of these people going through the hero's journey or any of these other kind of uh, archetypal patterns Mm. that people go through, it's sort of like, oh, wait, I kind of recognize something in myself with that story, and it kind of, I guess the only word I can use is resonate All of a sudden, the frequency that is on is the same frequency I'm on. It's like, oh, wait a second. I can hear it now. I get it.
1: And that's why we love these movies, right? And this is why, like, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is kicking ass and, you know.
0: Yeah. They have definitely spread that out and told a bunch of the same story in such a way that they can tie Mm -hmm. them all together. Is it one epic climax. Oh, still haven't seen it. No spoilers. All right, you waiting for got on that, buddy. Waiting to come out on DVD or <laughs> Blu-ray or whatever people All are right, watching right. these days. Right, right. Okay, so they assist us in tapping into your... Okay, yeah, I think we covered that one. Mm-hmm. Understanding weaknesses. Yep, exactly better to know them than not know them. Mm-hmm. Archetypes assist in perceiving the bigger picture of your life's journey and story. It's like, okay, so maybe you'd be running into... Uh, like a serious problem in your life right now, but you might be able to incorporate that more successfully into a larger, broader narrative of where your life is going. And you know, challenges can kind of suck sometimes, but I don't think anybody gets out of this life scot-free. Definitely you know, not. Nobody gets out of it without any suffering. And if you did, would it really be a life? Mm-hmm. Like honestly, it's like if you if you just kind of what well, how was it. Uh, Tolstoy or Dostoevsky and how he kind of explained like if all we really had to do was sit around and procreate the species and eat cakes the first thing we do is break something just for a bit of novelty mm-hmm. it's like yeah that that mm-hmm. is a very accurate description of the human condition yeah, yeah. sounds know. pretty boring to me like, 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 like what happened down in Toronto with the, uh, the epic victory that the raptors just, oh, yeah. uh, they just went through and there's people kicking in Uh, cruisers of cop cars. It's like, why? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, okay, well, maybe it'd be worse if they lost, but it's like, still, what would motivate you to be like, yes, we won, destroy the police. Yeah, well,
1: that's the problem with, Uh... like... This extreme collectivism and when people get in riots is because no one's responsible because it's just one big amorphous
0: group. Exactly. I could just disappear into the crowd and absolve myself of responsibility, right?
1: You just let yourself go. So we gotta. And
0: perhaps if those individuals had better incorporated their shadow, they might have been able to, I don't know, start boxing six months earlier and not have all that aggression by the time (laughs) the game came around or something. But they didn't. So they realized, hey, we're all celebrating. I got tens of thousands of people around me that I can blend into for anonymity later, so I'm going to yeah. do whatever the hell comes to mind, which for whatever reason was kicking in the windshield of a cop car. Yeah, yeah. just because you can doesn't mean you should. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And oh, Prager mentioned that as well. He's like, don't do what you want, do what you should. Mm-hmm, do what you mm-hmm. should do, not what you want to do. Mm-hmm, You're probably going to end up with a lot fewer problems if you follow that archetype. Mm-hmm. Sort of saying, well, yeah, you might want to go do that, but what should you do? Mm-hmm. Oh, I know what I should do. Yeah, you bloody know what you
1: do. Go do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go do it. Right? Classic Peterson argument. Exactly. All, right? You know full so well. <laughs> you right? know deep down. Yeah. Don't lie to yourself. Come exactly.
0: On.
1: <laughs> all right, so you want to start uh, going through some of these more specifically. Um, the first one, which um, is like part of the beginning of the journey, this one's the innocent. And the goal of the innocent is to, like we talked about, remain in safety its fear is abandonment its response to dr- the dragon slash problem is deny or seek rescue task is fidelity discernment their gifts are trust optimism and loyalty hmm. so the innocent is the part of us that trusts life ourselves and other people it is the part of us that let's say keeps the faith In whatever it is we are hoping for, even things that seem impossible. We all begin in a state of innocence, fully cared for inside our mother's room. If we are lucky, our parents love us and care for us while they are supported by relatives, friends, and social institutions that believe in us and our potential. While supporting our efforts at mastering and developing our skills and our individuality. While keeping us safe and secure until we are old enough to care for ourselves. So there's a very childlike theme of this right and that's that's okay children who have been loved and cared for possess a wonderful faith that the world is generally good and it's a safe place for them and they can depend on others to give them the physical intellectual and emotional support they need to grow and mature Um, The trust they feel in others and in themselves helps them learn the skills they need for life, which translates into basic socialization into the culture as well as life and career skills and knowledge. So we all begin in innocence, believing that those in authority teach us regardless if whether those authorities have our best interests in mind. The innocent in us trusts even when trust is not justified. The innocent will... ...believe almost whatever a person tells them, like if they are ugly, naughty, selfish, uncoordinated, stupid, or lazy. It is the innocent who gets the bad grade and concludes he or she is dumb. Although a secure, happy childhood helps produce an optimistic and trusting outlook on life, its absence does not necessarily mean you cannot gain the innocent's gifts. Some people come out of awful childhoods and become productive and eventually happy adults, while others... ...remain dysfunctional throughout life.
0: Alright. So next up, we have the warrior. So the goal of the warrior is to win, get its own way, make a difference through struggle. What they fear is weakness, powerlessness, impotence, and ineptitude. Their response to a dragon, or a problem in this case, will be to slay it, defeat it, or convert it. Their task? High-level assertiveness, fighting for what really matters. And their gift is courage, discipline, and skill. So we usually think of the hero archetype when we think we uh, think of the warrior who escapes from a constricting environment and begins the journey in search of a treasure, which can be metaphorically represented many different uh, ways. I know this is done with piles of gold, or in many cases with young women.
1: Mm-hmm. Right, Yeah, the maiden. And and,
0: and I just want to point... Yeah, exactly. And I just want to point out here, ladies, if you're feeling objectified, I'm sorry if being elevated to the highestly desirable element in the universe is condescending, but it, it's not. Get over yourself. But also keep in mind, the archetypes are,
1: you know, they apply to females as well. Of
0: course they do, yeah, because, you know, hum- they're, they're human beings like us. Yeah, right?
1: so this isn't just the guys only
0: Exactly. Thing. So this applies to everybody. So on yeah. the journey... He or she is called upon to confront and slay many dragons. They possess courage and subscribe to high ideals, and they are willing to put their life on the line to defend their kingdoms, their honor, and to protect the weak from harm. The warrior within each of us calls us to have courage, strength, and integrity. Also, the ability to create goals and follow through with them, and the ability to fight when necessary for ourselves or others. The warrior with us, uh, within us demands a high level of commitment to our own integrity warriors live by and when necessary fight for their own principles or values even in the face of economic or social risk in competition this also means doing your utmost best and striving not only to win but to play fair to win the game of all games (laughs) the series of games right Mm -hmm. so warrioring god that sounds so millennial (laughs) it's about claiming our power in the world establishing our place in the world and making that world a better place In practice, this means that the warriors, uh, as warriors, we must recognize the aspects of our individual or collective lives that disappoint or annoy us, which we seek to change by force or persuasion. It is only being tough enough not to get pushed around and forceful enough to have things one's own sweet way. So the mature internal warrior is necessarily above all to protect our boundaries. Without courageous, disciplined, and well-trained warriors, the kingdom is always in danger of being overrun by the barbarians. Damn barbarians. Damn those barbarians. (laughs) Without the strong internal warrior, we have no defense against the demands and instructions of others. We live in a warrior culture. Any system based on competition, from competitive sports to politics to the judicial system to capitalist economics to competition and education, is based on warrior modalities. Now, the warrior myth shows us how courage, or human courage in this case, and struggle, can defeat evil. The myth is encoded in all the stories of the great warriors who have ever stood up to the dragon, the wicked tyrant, or the forces of evil, uh, and also oppressive circumstance. And in doing, rescuing not only themselves, but others, especially those weaker than themselves. Its plot requires a hero, villain, and a victim to be rescued. Sometimes the victor, like Alexander the Great, Napoleon, or George Washington, is a mature and experienced general. Sometimes, as with David and Goliath, a younger, smaller figure overcomes the older, bigger bully. So what do you think about that? I think it's interesting. I think the only thing I might push back on is that some of the systems uh, based on competition, Mm -hmm. I think they're also nested within uh, cooperation, Mm -hmm. right? Because if, like, competitive sports were more competitive than they were cooperative, we would just use violence against the opposing team and kill them. And then we would win. Right. But we don't do that. These there's sw- rules. If we break the rules, we go sit in the penalty box. Mm-hmm. And we'll sit there, voluntarily, you know, not playing the game because we know we did something wrong because we're willing to cooperate with those rules. Mm-hmm. So, That's we- <laughs> a good one. Yeah. so even though it's a competition, it has to be nested inside cooperation because if it's not, what you end up with is total war. Mm. where there are no rules. It's basically like... We, it's either us or you. Mm-hmm. Or, sorry, mm-hmm. us or them. That makes more sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if we get there, then we have some serious problems, right? Because then it's like, well, I'm not just going to adopt a better strategy to put the ball in the net. I'm just going to go buy some chemical weapons and gas you. Because that's way easier than trying to learn to play the game. If all mm. the ideas is, is just competition, well, then it's just like, we'll just kill you, and then we win. You right, know? And that's right. not really what sport is about. Right. That, that would be considered decidedly unsportsmanlike. You know what I mean? Yeah. When they bust out the chemical weapons on the field. <laughs> no, no. They get a red card for that. Yeah, <laughs> <No>. yeah. Well, <laughs> at the very least. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> That guy just busted out some VX gas. The other team gets a penalty kick. <laughs> there we go.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So next um, up.
1: Oh, I was just going to say one, th- you know. Sure. um You know, I like how it... The warrior archetype calls upon courage and integrity, right? And uh, I think these are key things that we need to remember and instill within ourselves and yeah. others, right? You don't have to
0: go to war to have integrity.
1: But you we know? need we need well warriors to defend the kingdom. Yes. And have boundaries. But this... if they don't have
0: integrity, not gonna be defended yeah, much for their own interests. Yeah.
1: And the the problem is, um, that I've noticed anyways with with soldiers or, you know, it depends on what orders they're following and what wars they're going out to, mm. you know, participate in or whatever, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? So.
0: And I think a lot of them, they're very conscious of the fact that maybe what they're there for might not really be the right reasons. And, and we're going to go mm-hmm. over this when we talk to, uh, to Bryant, uh, mm-hmm. when we have him on the podcast, he's, uh, a mentor of mine and he did, uh, some tours over in the Middle East right. there and, uh, yeah. it's all real. Right. Like when yeah, the way he well. describes it, it's, it's like, I, I don't really have anyone here that I've talked to that's mm. like seriously fought overseas. And, you know, he talks about, uh, you know, the kind of leadership decisions over there are a lot different than the kind of leadership decisions that you have to make over here. Right. Well, right. I, I'm sure he's going to give us a great picture of the other side. Exactly. But this is this, easy it, to be armchair critics. Exactly. <laughs> but th- this guy is the embodiment of integrity. So I think he will uh, awesome. you guys are going to really enjoy that episode. So stay tuned for that.
1: So next we got the king slash ruler. Their goal is a harmonious and prosperous kingdom. Their fear is chaos. Hot chaos. Oh no. Loss of control. But their response to the dragon slash problem is to find its constructive use. Their task is to take full responsibility for their life. Find ways to express their deeper self in the world. Their gifts are sovereignty, responsibility, and competence. So many stories, myths, fairy tales, and legends conclude with the discovery that the main character, presumably a regular person who has grinded through many obstacles and adventures, is actually the long-lost son or daughter of the king. Classical heroes were often orphaned in some way and raised by commoners. You see that in Superman, for example, Man of Steel, mm-hmm. awesome movie. Um, this experience of living like the lowest people in the land was crucial to their development of the humbleness, empathy, and knowledge of the challenges of ordinary life necessary for truly effective leadership. The hero's journey is often as, um, it is is often a way as training for leadership. For example, in many myths, the kingdom is in a state of decay and chaos as wasteland as a wasteland because. Um, the king has been injured and is weak. The young hero goes on a quest, slays a dragon, and locates a treasure or elixir that brings a new life to a corrupt and collapsing culture. When the hero returns, the kingdom is transformed and is revived again as the young hero who becomes the new king. The problem is, as modern and postmodern people, we have forgotten this pattern and see leadership training as nothing more than a matter of skill development. Which I believe this is partly why we are in the situation we are in, in the kingdom of our culture and the many kingdoms of our families are suffering. In modern life we become the ruler by taking complete responsibility for our lives, not only our inner reality but also the way our outer reality mirrors our outer world mirrors reality. This includes the ways our individual lives affect our families, communities and societies. When we have very likely become too comfortable and stopped growing, our kingdoms feel like wastelands. We must allow the budding of new life the new hero within us to take to take us on a new journey the king is a symbol of wholeness integration and the triumph of the self not just in its formative stages but as an expression of ourselves in the world as an exp- and also as an expression powerful enough to change lives inwardly and outwardly the ruler is whole because the archetype amplifies the wisdom of youth and age, holding them in dynamic tension. When that tension breaks down and imbalance results, a new journey needs to be taken, a new treasure, one, that can transform the kingdom once again. The king creates a peaceful and harmonious kingdom by becoming peaceful and harmonious inside. The belief system that inner and outer worlds mirror one another—that informs alchemy—is also encoded in the Grail myths, especially with regard to the king's relationship to the kingdom. I don't know about you, but I love that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's uh, that is interesting. I like the uh, the introduction of the Superman thing, right? Because it's like, I guess if he had just come in and I don't know, landed in Brussels or something, and was like, oh, I guess I'll just you know work with the EU. And I'll just sit on the council. It's like, okay, you may not have actually developed the necessary understanding of how day-to-day people live to be able to be in that position. Mm. But, uh, yeah, I think there is a certain humbleness that comes from, uh, you know, from living maybe not as a wealthy person, but maybe as a poor person. Mm -hmm. You get to understand, it's like, all right, well, this is what actually matters for survival. Yeah, at the most fundamental level. At the most fundamental level, yeah. So I I do like that. And then uh, the hero's journey allows the person to actually... uh, to gain the necessary requisites... Well, I don't want to say skills, because that kind of defeats the purpose, but mm-hmm. the necessary pattern of being that allows them mm-hmm. to adopt this uh, this role.
1: Yeah, and to me, the the king essentially brings order from chaos, essentially.
0: Habitable and, order.
1: Yes. Habitable order from <laughs> Habitable chaos. order, thank you. From
0: chaos, right?
1: Specifics are key, right? Yeah. Um, and the presence of a good king will will affect everything in a positive way, I believe. And I think we know people like this mm-hmm. in our own lives if we stop to think about it, you know? hmm So, do um, you so, want to go to the next? yep.
0: Yeah, next up we got the uh, the Magician. So the goal is transformation of lesser into better realities. So they fear evil sorcery, transformation in a negative direction, response to the dragon or the problem is to transform or heal it their task is alignment with the self uh, alignment of self with the cosmos and their gift is personal power so the power of the king is to create a and maintain a prosperous and peaceful kingdom the power of the magician in contrast is to change reality by transforming consciousness good rulers bear the weight of responsibility with their synergistic relationship with the kingdom Knowing that the conditions of their life reflect and influence the state of their soul, but they cannot heal themselves. Without the magician, who heals the wounded ruler, the kingdom cannot be improved for the better. So already I'm starting to get ideas of like Merlin and King Arthur.
1: There you go. Now,
0: gotta have a Merlin if you're gonna have a King Arthur. <laughs> so, court go. magicians... Often served as counselors to rulers, as Merlin did to King Arthur. Oh, I guess I was ahead of you there. (laughs) Whoops. (laughs) Or think of Obi-Wan Kenobi advising Luke Skywalker in A New Hope. Yep, a more modern example. Perfect. And when the kingdom is uninhabitable, they often work solo. Individuals who... wait, solo... Nah, no, that probably not the same Han Solo, right? <laughs> anyway, individuals who uphold the magician role in society have to be have been called shaman, witch, sorcerer, healer, fortune teller, priest, or priestess. In the modern world, they be known uh, they might be known as doctors, psychologists, organizational development consultants, or even marketing gurus. Currently, the idea seems to be esoteric to many people. Yet it's important to remember that Jesus, Moses, and Buddha. All the founders of great religions produced miracles regularly. If we want to walk their paths, we can too. Many traditions instruct, Ask and ye shall receive, Seek and ye shall find, Knock and the door will open. We may have to ask for what we want and need. So the magician, as an archetype, can be expressed in any of our lives in a very basic and everyday way. Uh, Shug in Alex Walker's novel, The Color People, transforms everyone she meets simply because she is a woman who has claimed her power, and this decision makes ripple effects out into the world. She does not decide to change people. She is simply true to herself, and change happens. Often, everyday people unconsciously use the basic principles of magic without even knowing it. A parent who becomes very calm inside, which soothes an overly excited child, is being a healer. Peacefulness is contagious, just as hysteria is. Obviously, (laughs) probably all of us have known people who radiate peace and caring, and sometimes we can balance out by just standing next to them. Conversely, we all know someone whose inner world is complete chaos and desperate, and that inner state affects everyone around them. We're all magicians in this sense. Those who claim their gifts tend to create win-win solutions for the people around them. This is evident in the case for people who have become famous for their contributions to the world. Asserting our own personal power and our life's work results in the most essential kind of magic as we change and grow, and in the process enrich the world around us. In a democratic society, it is not just the famous great people who do this, we all need to. We can also influence the world in many other ways as we consciously explore the combined relationships of our inner and outer worlds. When we create order in our inner world, it's much easier to see and bring about order in the external world. As Peterson famously instructs, sometimes cleaning out refrigerator, closet, or desk clears the mind. So you want to make sure to clean your room. (laughs) Accordingly, if we want a peaceful world, we must start with becoming peaceful ourselves. If we want love, we must start with becoming loving. This mirroring of inner and outer does not work by simply cause and effect. It works uh, by synchronicity, what Carl Jung calls meaningful coincidences. It's like uh, a magnetic field drawing us uh, experiences that match our inner realities. To the magician, the sacred is not viewed as above us, judging us, as it is from the ego perspective, but as inherent in ourselves, nature, society, the earth, and the cosmos. Thus, the magician within all of us gives us a sense of relatedness with the world and an understanding that what is within us uh, contains all that is outside of ourselves. Or to put it in a more esoteric occult terms, uh, the macrocosm and the microcosm mirror one another. We are all connected at some level, perhaps at the level Jung called the collective unconscious. The magician's role is to learn to make that level conscious. So yeah, there's definitely a lot to go go over in terms of what the uh, the magician is. But it almost seems like these are people that, you know, they're not necessarily tyrannical in the way they go about changing other people's lives, but they have more like they act as an example.
1: Unless there's the shadow manifestation, which we'll talk about later on. Okay. But, um, but yeah, these people in their proper manifestation, they, they use their power for good, essentially, and they... It's like they have some, you know, special power or skill that not too many people possess, but it seems like magic, you know, because of the way they're able to transform reality. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And solve problems and bring about change, I would say. Okay. And uh, as we mentioned before, it could be like Merlin or Obi-Wan Kenobi. So, you know, the wise mentor who understands the trials and initiation that the young hero must go through and they kind of you know guide them and they understand what needs to be done Mm i would say and they foster that process of growth
0: yeah and i guess without the magician the hero's journey might never actually occur because they're never going to be able to manifest it on their own
1: exactly or Mm -hmm. the king cannot get well again yeah so
0: yeah that's uh it's interesting as it wasn't the uh the sword and the stone about Mm -hmm. that? Yeah. Where the king is uh, is old and dying and whatever, and it's... I guess I never really would have thought of that as a metaphor for the death of a culture. But it's like, you know, you got to have somebody come around who's actually able to revivify that in some way.
1: Exactly. Yeah. That's essentially the hero's journey, right?
0: And... I guess I never understood. It's like if they actually set it up so that the next king would have to pull out the sword, how do they get it in there to begin with? <laughs> I know that's not what the story is about it. I'm obviously missing the point, but it's, it's almost bothered me. I guess. <laughs>
1: that's a good question. Um, yeah. So we also, you know, they, the magician has converted into professions we see today and therapists and mm-hmm. doctors. And I like how they mentioned even marketing
0: gurus. Yeah. That's an interesting one as well, right? Because it's like, this is how you're going to be able to properly bring value to your, your customer. Mm -hmm. right and this that's the the way they go they
1: they understand the psychology of it they understand let's say the invisible forces of how to influence emotion and elicit evoke emotion in people Mm. that will make or at least keep the product in mind yeah sub or unconsciously fear
0: and sex would probably be a pretty good bet
1: (laughs) yeah yeah it's indeed
0: all right so next up we got some shadow manifestations or shadow malfunctions of archetypes and this would be derived from robert moore's king warrior magician and lover
1: oh and just sorry just to mention the last archetypes we mentioned it's from carol s pearson's book uh awaken the heroes within so uh just to let you know awesome book check it out it's got a wealth of information highly recommend it so um,
0: yeah amazon affiliate links in the description when we figure (laughs) out how to do that yeah
1: (laughs) we'll get there we'll get there so Robert Moore, who was a Jungian analyst, and um, he wrote that the shadow manifests where there is an immature, fragmented psyche because splitting is always a symptom of integrated development. But psychological maturity is a measure of how thoroughly the ego is able to integrate the shadow into its consciousness. Um, I know I'm we're saying a lot of psychological g- jargon we'll uh you know get to that you know eventually, but uh we don't need to go into the psychodynamics of it so we'll just get into the archetypes and uh we'll talk more about the ego later and how it function how it functions in another episode so uh one thing to keep in mind is that childhood trauma is usually the root of the following shadow malfunctions of the archetypes so The king can turn into the tyrant and or the weakling. So we're going to talk about the tyrant. So think of the quote, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. Take, for example, a man who seemed calm, nice, and rational, but once they've been promoted, they suddenly become a different person. The shadow king is tyrant, has no transpersonal commitment or duty beyond himself. He only serves himself as opposed to serving the people, which the good king would do.
0: Or a higher purpose, or something to that something effect. Something like but that,
1: yeah. <laughs> so, the tyrant manipulates and abuses others. He is ruthless, merciless, and without feeling when he is pursuing what he thinks is his own self-interest. His degradation of others knows no bounds. He hates all beauty, all innocence, all strength, all talent, all life energy. He does so because he lacks inner structure and he is actually scared of his own hidden weakness and lack of potency. The Shadow King as Tyrant is manifested in the father who makes war on his sons and daughters joy and strength, their abilities and vitality. He fears their freshness, newness of being, and the life force surging through them and he seeks to eliminate it. He does this with open verbal abuse and deprecation of interests, hopes, and talents. Or he does it by ignoring their accomplishments, turning his back on their on their disappointments, and registering boredom and lack of interest when, for example, they come home from school and pre- present him with a piece of artwork or a good grade on a test. The Tyrant King manifests in all of us at some time or another when we feel pushed to the limit, when we are exhausted, and when our ego is getting inflated. But we can see it manifesting usually in certain personality types, such as narcissistic personality disorder. These people really feel that they are the center of the universe, despite not being centered themselves, and that others exist just to serve them. Instead of mirroring others, they insatiably seek mirroring from them. Instead of seeing others, they seek to be seen by them. We can also observe the Tyrant King and Drug Lords, pimps, mafia bosses, who exist to further their own status and what they think is their own well-being at the expense of others.
0: Yeah, sounds like a dick. <laughs> you know?
1: You think? Yeah, a little bit, but So, anyways, I I just like to say like I've actually recognized this within myself a few times um even though I like to fight tyrants, <laughs> the, the the tyrants in my life, but um you know what? Um, I did come to that realization thanks to my school and therapy training and It's really funny because, like, when I become weaker, um, especially during the winter months, I have less energy and um, I just get more irritated and I want to also be more in control of things. So at times I don't like too many changes going on, but I prefer a certain sense of structure or else it's too chaotic for me and it's hard for me to handle. And... It, it could come in the form of like getting mad at your like group members or something or rejecting their ideas for like a presentation or something like that. And later even you, with coworkers, you might not and know where then, it comes from, right? Yeah. you might know where it comes from. And then later you regret it and you know, hopefully apologize or make peace with that. But, um mm-hmm. but yeah, um this is a really important archetype to recognize within ourselves. I think.
0: Yeah. Cause I think we all have the capacity for that kind of tyranny and we have to have to recognize that, if we don't get a handle on it, that's pretty much the path yeah. we're, we're guaranteed to head down if we uh, gain any sort of power. So Yeah, and
1: it's like the Spider-Man quote from Uncle Ben. With great power comes great responsibility, and I think there is a lot of depth to that, right?
0: Yeah, short and simple, but it's got a lot of truth in there.
1: And we must remember that evil, I think in its basic sense, is the abuse of power, essentially so um
0: because it'd be kind of difficult to be super evil if you didn't really have any power at all you know what i mean mm, it's like if somebody's mm. locked in a prison cell it's like they can really do whatever they want but it's probably not going to manifest as all that much but you know
1: what i've noticed Mm. i think people who haven't had a lot of power in their life they try to manifest it themselves and they try to control others as a way to yeah, get, a, get, a taste. get a taste of it because yeah. power power is very uh seductive and yeah
0: yeah it's like oh wait a minute you I mean there's no responsibility and i can do whatever i want and, and i can tell people what to and do and i <laughs> can tell people what to do and they all have to do it it's like, that sounds awesome like yeah yeah you yeah. think that now it can change people for better or worse right? yeah so the uh there's also the the warrior again they can turn into a, a sadist or the masochist. So this would be the two shadow elements of the uh, the warrior. So the modern image of the shadow warrior, which is a really good game, by the way. You should try it. <laughs> yeah,
1: I see the icon here.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it was cruel. Uh, a cruel, passionless killing machine. Could be like a Darth Vader kind of character. So uh, that's, mm-hmm. uh, I guess, you could picture for, for that. It's fairly easy to see this destructive warrior operating... In our own lives. Unfortunately, we may observe it in the workplace when, you know, your boss puts you down or harasses or unjustly fires or in many cases just mistreats his subordinates, right? So we got to acknowledge the sadist uh, in ourselves and the appalling statistics of, you know, spousal abuse and child abuse and all these other kinds of things where, you know, someone who's directly dependent on you is now the subject of your tyranny. Mm -hmm. Perpetuating trauma. Yeah. And then that's going to keep going, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So, pathology that relates to the shadow warrior, the uh, things like compulsive personality disorder. These people are workaholics, constantly with their nose to the grindstone. They have a huge pain tolerance and often manage to get a ton of work done. And what drives their non-stop engines is deep anxiety, the hero's desperation. They don't have a really good grasp on their own sense of their own worthwhileness, and they don't know what it's what it is they really want, what they're missing and what they would really like to have. So they spend their lives attacking everyone and everything, their jobs, the tasks before them, themselves, and others. And in the process, they're eaten alive by this sadistic warrior and soon reach burnout. You know, we all know these people, the managers who stay in the office long after everyone's gone home. And when they do go home, they seldom have a good night's sleep. These are the ministers, social workers, the therapists, the doctors, and the lawyers, who literally work day and night, ...to plug the physical and psychological holes in other people, sacrificing their own lives for the sake of saving others. And in the process, they really do a lot of harm, both to themselves and those who can't measure up to their impossible standards. They can't, of course, measure up to their own standards, so they mercifully, mercilessly abuse themselves. If you have to admit to yourself that you really don't like take to, to take care of yourself... That you don't care for your mental and physical well-being, then it's very likely the shadow warrior has possessed you. Now, on this, I know uh, Peterson does mention this as well about the, you know, spending so much time trying to fix the psychological problems of other people that you end up sacrificing your own needs. Mm -hmm. I think the problem with that would be like taking on other people's problems as your own, and I think there there's a the problem with that isn't obviously just the fact that you're then taking on their burdens, but you don't really have a right to take that from them. Right? Mm-hmm. It's theirs. Mm-hmm. Right? Because if you take it from them and come up with a solution and give it back, you've kind of denied them the right to figure it out themselves. And
1: learn anything. And
0: learn anything in the process. Right? So if they're able to come up with it themselves, not only is it going to be better, but they're probably going to be more likely to stick to it.
1: Yeah. And the the good warrior understands boundaries. Right? And yeah. And they, they enforce them too. Right? So... Exactly that's so the what uh, makes me think
0: of and the workaholics running through burnout <laughs> you know in order to uh, I guess deal with their own sense of inadequacy perhaps yeah right, I, mean, right. I could see that uh, that being a problem as well and obviously you know if you're feeling really insecure and you choose to take it out on your wife or your child I mean that's uh, you know obviously immoral but it also is kind of a a mark against you as a man.
1: Yes. You know, I, yes. Don't, I don't
0: think any man would look at another man doing that and say, well, that's that's some manly behavior right there. No. No, we'd probably consider it kind of pathetic. Absolutely. You know, For it's, sure. uh, it's not really some, uh, not a path you want to take. Yeah,
1: it's a really violent form of displacement.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it, def- yeah.
1: Another ego defense, yeah.
0: So in order to protect our own feelings about ourselves, we just attack other people. I don't know, I see a lot of this on the internet, too, when people kind of go after each other. And then mm-hmm. Twitter seems to be really bad for it. I, I never go on Twitter, yeah. just because, you know, be like, oh, that's an interesting point, and you click on it, and you look at the thread, and it's like, <laughs> oh, wow, there's a lot of assholes on Twitter, okay. Right? <laughs> so, yeah, I just kind of stay away yeah. from that. I mean, Facebook's yeah. bad enough, but a lot of times it's mostly just people our age and older, so it's not that bad. You know, I think, right. I think the young kids have gone elsewhere to, you know, Instagram or... I don't. bit shoot's a little bit more niche, but I don't know right. where the kids are these days. We should probably find that out, shouldn't we? Yeah, yeah. yeah I yeah. guess if we want to do better at marketing, yeah, we, <laughs> we should look. Into yeah, we're still that. figuring it out. We're figuring it out.
1: Understand what uh, the youth are going through. Yeah, sure. exactly.
0: So I guess maybe we'll have to just chop this down to one minute and put it on Instagram as a video.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that'll be that'll be interesting. Well,
0: you know, it's funny that I uh, think uh, Peterson talked about this as well. He's like the the reason why TV always makes people dumber is that. If you only have like seven minutes to make a really important point, how intelligent do you think your audience is really gonna
1: be? Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I heard something like that as well. Yeah. Like the TV format, it doesn't allow deep thought. You know, bandwidth a long is too time. expensive. Yeah, yeah. So now
0: it's like, well, we could just sit here and talk for as long yeah. as we want, put it up, and it's good to go, and people can listen to it at yeah. their leisure. So that's the beauty of podcast. Yeah, yeah, right? we don't have, we don't have to limit the, uh, I guess, the depth of the conversation because of some sort of time constraint where it's like, okay, well, we could talk about this, but it's also going to cost us $40,000 to add an extra two minutes to this show, so we'll cut it out. It's no. like, well, we don't have those restrictions. We could do it as long as we no. want, so there's, uh, there's no issues there. Right, right. So was there any further archetype stuff that you wanted to dive into here with these specific examples or do you want to wax (laughs) lyrical more generally
1: well we could wax a bit more generally um keep in mind there's other archetypes that we can dive into later there's like the caregiver the seeker the sage which is kind of like the next step after the magician which i think is really interesting yeah that would make sense fool as well which is the last step of the journey as well Um, but um but yeah they're
0: almost like labels or roles in a sense, right? Yeah. Where it's like, okay, well, here's a role that thousands of people have had for thousands of years, and now you're yeah. doing that same thing, so there are going to be elements of all of those stories that line up.
1: Manifested in patterns of behavior. Exactly. Well. So
0: yeah. even though the things around us may always change, these fundamental stories never seem to. Right. And I mean, I've seen lists that have like 300 different archetypes that are basically just any description of a person's role that you could imagine. I'm like, okay, well, maybe that's a little bit too general. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that does seem to, to point to the fact that it's like these, these are stories that go back so far into prehistory that i think it's very important to take them seriously
1: yes absolutely i think that if we acknowledge them and become conscious of the archetypes that are active within ourselves and understand it more i mean that's that's just a great thing Mm -hmm. in and of itself and i think it's gonna help not only ourselves but the people around us and
0: i'm trying know? to think what would be the alternative of failing to properly understand the archetypal patterns right. and, and i my understanding would be that if you don't understand these stories of where they're coming from i think you're probably going to be sort of like a leaf in the wind just kind mm-hmm. of blowing around to, to whatever other people tell you to do or tell you what to think or anything like yeah. that because you don't really have any understanding of where you're coming from or where you're going
1: Yeah, where you're rooted in...
0: Yeah, because you've never seen any examples of anybody else doing it. But it's like, well, you know, you might not be that unique.
1: You know, there (laughs) there
0: are tons of people that have done all this same stuff in the past and, you know, you're just going through the modern uh, iteration of it now. So it might be good to know that you're not alone in some Mm. of these problems that you're facing and that they're problems that have been faced by humanity for all of time, all the the time that we've been here. So, yeah, I'd uh, Mm. you know, take them seriously and uh, understand which roles that you might be filling in or maybe what roles are causing you to feel a certain way, Mm -hmm. right? So if you're, uh, you know, if you're being taken advantage of some way, then, you know, you got to get a little bit angry. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's the other
1: thing. Uh, In our culture, oh, anger is such a bad thing. No one can get angry. Don't want to get angry. Might lead to violence. It's like, okay. But they mix up anger with rage. That's the key. There's a key difference between that, right? And... You know, there is such a thing as righteous indignation, and if somebody is abusing you, hell yeah, you should get angry. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a completely natural response, and our emotions are guides for us when properly honed, you know?
0: Yeah, and if you find yourself in the position of finding that, you know, your emotions are so overwhelming that you kind of gotta self-medicate in a certain way, uh, either with, uh, pharmaceuticals other illicit drugs video games any other distractions there's probably a reason that there's probably something that you're avoiding and it Mm. might be good to figure out lean into those emotions a little bit figure out exactly what's causing you to feel that way and then address it and Mm. then that's just one less thing you got to worry about
1: yeah it's a very interesting thing to explore especially in regards to addictions right
0: yeah exactly because i mean i think a lot of the people that you know are addicts they're probably nursing a lot of internal pain that they carry around with them all the time I mean, nobody just wakes up one day and be like, I'm just going to be a heroin addict.
1: Yeah, it's... I've never tried it. I can't
0: judge it. I better try it first. It's like, "Mm, no, you're probably doing it for a reason.
1: Yeah, believe it or not, guys, this stuff does happen for a reason. It's not just random and chaotic. Like, some people will tell you, so...
0: Yeah, but it also doesn't mean that you have no free will exactly you know and that's that's a weird distinction it's like well if everything happens for a reason how do I have any free will it's like oh god (laughs) (sighs) we'll get into that we'll get into that (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm too archetyped to get into that right now so anyway but like it's like you said
1: like we want to make the unconscious conscious or else we're you know we'll be at the whim of our emotions and we won't understand what's happening we'll just repeat these destructive patterns essentially
0: over and over ad nauseum. so uh, was there anything else you wanted to cover, archetype-wise? <laughs> well,
1: uh, I think I'm pretty good for now. So. Yeah. So if
0: if you guys want uh, an explanation of any other archetypes you've come across, we can definitely delve into some further details on a later episode. So drop a comment below in whatever platform you're looking at, uh, or viewing, listening to the podcast right now, and uh, mm-hmm. we'll we'll address that in a future episode. But until next time, this is the Sordid Skeptics signing out. Take care.